It's amazing how you know the tone of your spouse's voice when she calls your name and it's because one of your kids has just thrown up on her. There's just a way she says it that you just know it's that the, one of the kids the just pitch threw up. sense, right? Yeah, there's something. When they say your name, like usually it'll like, be bar! like, it's, a, just, it's like, it's no, it'd be like, you know, like. Right, everyone, welcome to the 55 One podcast. I am not Wes Berdine. I am Corey Shreppel filling in for dad. He is away. We will not be talking about Star Wars in this one. Um, but we do have a very special guest today. We have uh, Jeffrey Basoy, who has been on the show before, uh, live from Mexico City still, right? Is that right, Jeffrey? We're still down here. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Jeffrey has been, uh, obviously, he's the founder of the Plugged app, which we've um, kind of uh, promoted on the show before. Jeff, if you want to talk about that, feel free. But um, Jeffrey, you're, um, what's new with you, man? You are, you're writing for, for Minnesota United now, in addition to all of your other various f- freelance stuff, huh? Yeah. So I recently got recruited to be a freelance writer for the season. Um, thus far, I've been really kind of doing positional battles, competitions as the season started, just for fans to get acquainted with what is a really new roster for the most part. Um, and trying to figure out exactly, you know, should anyone go down who can kind of step in? Um, and other plays that you probably shouldn't be forgetting about. So it's uh, pretty exciting times right now as a, as a freelance writer. It's great fun. Awesome. Yeah. Your last, your last piece was, um, like your positional review and it was mostly about the attack and you had some really good basically just went down the list and, and contextualized, you know, the, the depth for our, our attack and the forwards. And, um, I really like that these kind of pieces are coming out and someone with your kind of, you know, ability to kind of lay it all out there in a really digestible way is really nice. But what else is going on? Anything else new in, in your world? Man, apart from that, it's really just been writing for The Current. The hip-hop scene in the Twin Cities is blowing up. A lot of incredible, incredible musicians. So I've really been trying to document that, the rise of the Twin Cities hip-hop scene and new artists coming out. Um, And the Plugged app, the app is actually going to be launching um, in a few months here in June. So it's really just been getting all my ducks in order, making sure everything is in order for that. I'll actually be back in Minnesota um, at the end of April for a few months. So if anyone wants to link up while I'm back, let me know, slide into my DMs. Um, but yeah, just, just staying busy and taking it one step at a time. Well, that's awesome, man. And your, uh, your Twitter handle is the Jeff Basoy. Is that correct? Absolutely. Look at Same that. IG as well for those that don't like Twitter because of the negativity. So look at that doing all of my, uh, this is my pre-production due diligence. I think I got all those details, right? <laughs> also with us is our, um, um, you know, the other, the other two heads of the three headed monster that Wes has to deal with. We have, uh, oh, Mark wow. Fangmeyer and, uh, Rodrigo Sanchez Chaveria. How are you both doing? Go ahead, Mark. You know, hanging in there. I didn't get thrown up on, so it's fine. That's no, no context needed. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to leave that. Rodrigo, how are you doing, my friend? Um, there's been a ride of emotion soccer wise. So, uh, from qualifiers to uh, to yesterday's game to just um, I don't know for like 
being an international break week, there sure was a lot of soccer to talk about. Oh my that god, that wasn't loons related. And I was like, holy cow! I was like, yeah. I was even going to ask you about you know next week's match between Liverpool and Man City with like the one point difference. I was like, what's that going to be like? I you am, know? I am like, so pumped for that. Um, I'm also just like, I'm just going to be nauseous all week. It's going to be great. Um, We're actually, we're, we're heading out there uh, to the UK later in May. We're going to see Liverpool play uh, at Anfield against um, Wes's Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Who knows? Liverpool might be able to uh, get the title that weekend. And if we're there, um, we'll just never come home because our bodies won't exist afterward. But um, well, let's, let's, You'll be absorbed into the ground. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Um, actually, Jurgen Klopp will give me such a tight bear hug that I will just disintegrate and melt, and my um, my wife will be sad. But um, but basically I basically just I mean it, you, you'll be just like Obi Wan Kenobi, like hundred percent. My my, just, my body my body will be absorbed into the force. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Jurgen Klopp is my Guigan Jin, and we could say that. Um, I think so. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, uh, Wes is going to have a field day with this when he edits it, but um, let's get right into it. Uh, some headlines we have. Uh, let's go through some good news. Um, this upcoming weekend, uh, April the 9th at the Mall of America, the Rotunda, uh, Minnesota Aurora is going to be doing their kit release. Um, I am super pumped. I've heard some rumors about what it could possibly be. I think everyone is just going to go there and spend all their money. Um, it's going to be great. I'm actually, I will definitely be there. Um, I'm excited to see what kind of turnout they get and what kind of reception it's going to be. But um, I'm super excited for that. Season starts um, later this spring, and um, I'm super pumped for that. Um, speaking of local soccer, Minneapolis City played in the Open Cup, and... Uh, uh, Lionel Vang had an absolute banger from outside the 18-yard box. It was a free kick, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. 20 yards out. It was awesome. It was outrageous. It was outrageous. It's absolutely yeah. nasty. It was, and, I think, and I also saw somebody that like took the measurements of the field and like how long the ball took. And it's like, yeah, that was a the average speed on that ball was 73 miles per hour. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> that's incredible. The, it was. It the, was. The thing def- is, yeah, go ahead. No, it's just the funniest thing is that if you and on our show notes, the link that I have is like a, someone took like the whole part of the 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 announcements that was going on, and so like as soon as he said it, I was like, oh yeah, he's not going to hit that from there, and then boom, that's like the biggest knuckleball I've ever seen being hit like at that spike. The ball didn't even move; it was just like. Whew. I I really wish that there was another camera. F- shooting from the other goal so you could see from behind to see like what kind of lateral movement that there was it's almost like um it, it was just absolutely incredible and twitter totally blew up nationally right. about it nationally and i think it, it it came into the number two top 10 on the espn it did uh, yeah yeah so it was one of that those. was awesome my favorite thing is that he tried to do it again uh, well, he tried every kick. time. He did every time. He's like, "Well, if I'm if I'm hot, I'm hot. I'm just gonna do it." But uh, <laughs> well, I mean, Minneapolis City did not move on uh, from that match. But um, they are now well, officially defeated fun. in World in U.S. Open Cup play. Right, it's their first loss. Their first loss. So in what, three um, four years, you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, what, something that could be interpreted as good news, just as uh, you know, fighting the power is uh, Madison Shanley, who is a singer in Portland, sings a lot of uh, the national anthems for Portland Timbers. Um, obviously, the that team has been embroiled in um, domestic abuse scandals and um, 
a bunch of other unsavory stuff, and she wore a bright red shirt with white text that said, you knew before the gal Galaxy match this evening. Um, uh, it was just, a, I think, a really subtle but powerful way to kind of raise awareness about the the issues with their front office. A follow-up, uh, a tweet from another journalist said that they looked into um, some of the details that were swirling around that the Timbers actually called her dad to get her to cover up and not wear that shirt and uh they confirmed that so timbers are just um wow you know they're you just uh, yeah they're just um you know they're batting a thousand on this one right, um right, right. so we'll see how that goes for them but the last bit of good news is the u.s men's national team and a 2-0 loss to costa rica officially qualified for the world cup and have exercised the demons of cuba so um you know, props to them. We're going to talk about the World Cup here in a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, a couple of bad uh, headlines here. Uh, Tariq Panja from uh, my organization, the New York Times, uh, had a tweet last week that said, uh, Norway's first female FA president uh, took the stage to deliver a powerful speech demanding FIFA live its values. She talked about human rights, good governance, and responsibility for those killed and injured during the, uh, the, the World Cup, basically talking about Qatar and all of the construction and everything around that. Uh, immediately, the uh, Honduran FA uh, leader then takes the stage and basically said uh, she shouldn't have said that. Um, Mark, I think you're the one that posted that in the uh, in the production channel. Yeah. It's just and then blows it was my mind. And then there was like the follow-up too, which I think it was uh, someone from Cutter. I forget who, but also then got up on stage and said, Oh yeah, you need to educate yourself and get your facts straight. It's like okay, yeah, that's cool. great FIFA. Cool, 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 cool. Mm -hmm. um, an, another, another bad um, in a string of controversial uh, things that have been coming out uh, in, over the course of her career. But uh, soccer legend uh, Hope Solo was arrested on a, D, a DWI, child abuse charges, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Basically said uh, she was passed out behind the wheel for over an hour with the engine running and two kids in the back seat. Um, paperwork said that officers could smell alcohol and she refused a sobriety test and blood was drawn. Um, you know, I don't want to get into should have or could have. Like, I hope she gets help. There's clearly some, exactly. some other things going on there, and, and I don't yeah. want to, you know... The, the 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 actions are clearly a symptom of something deeper and so um right, yep. it just sucks that it again just as you know whether you want to say it's her reputation is, is being revitalized and then something else happens um it just it just kind of sucks all around um anything else to say about that i don't i don't really have anything no. else to say about it it's kind of like, um i mean just you know hopefully that she gets the help that she needs but at the same time it's not the first time that hope solo has run in with the law so yeah. and so hopefully you know this is this is a this is this is a low point before you turn it to try to figure out what else is going on you know so so that's that's the, that's the main thing i hopefully but yeah i mean who would that came out of like literally left field you know like you weren't even looking into that for those news but yeah yeah absolutely know? um Jeffrey, uh, Chelsea fan, um, what's nothing's going on with that club, right? Uh, I mean, we're in no position to win anything besides potentially winning the Champions League, which would be a very Chelsea thing to do. Uh, struggle throughout the entire season and then just win the Champions League. That's literally what we did last year. Um, 
But apart from that, like obviously a lot of folks have been laughing in our expense um, after Robert Abramovich, um, you know, with uh, the war with Ukraine and Russia going on, had all his stuff sanctioned um, and basically has put up the club for sale um, and has really kind of been forced to sell the club as well. So everyone's been laughing at us for the past few weeks, almost a little over a month now, talking about how Chelsea's uh, is about to go into the second league and going to be uh, a sad club for the years to come. Um, so there's been a lot of different bids coming in from from different parts of the world, um, some folks from Saudi Arabia. Um, we've had some folks in England. We've had a few few owners um, from MLB teams, uh, the Cubs owner, as well as the Dodgers owner, as well as place bids. Chelsea, as of last week, um, had kind of finalized their list of, you know, favorite bidders to like four, um, which includes the owner of the Cubs and the owner of the Dodgers. Um, and a lot of folks have probably seen a lot of online campaigns from Chelsea fans saying no to Ricketts. The Ricketts are the owners of the Chicago Cubs. And a lot of the reason for that is beyond the fact that for a long, long, long time, the Cubs were a laughing stock in the MLB and they did not do a really great job of investing into the team, which for Chelsea fans, you know, one of our biggest things is people hating on us for being the real Madrid of the EPL outside of Manchester city. We want someone that actually buys the club and actually continues to help us grow as a powerhouse into, into European football and world football as well. Cause let's not forget, we're also the world champions. Um, so there's a lot of concern there, not only from an ownership standpoint, but also just the fact of a lot of problematic statements from the Ricketts um, as owners, um, very anti, um, anti-Muslim anti statements, a lot of other toxic things that a lot of fans are like, no, we don't want this sort of owner um, taking over our club. Um, so a lot of fans right now are waiting to see and hoping uh, that the, ch- the folks that are currently in charge of accepting any bids go towards the L.A. Dodgers owner. Um, not only, obviously, the Dodgers, one of the winningest, winningest teams in all MLB, but also is a much safer bet as well as carrying the Chelsea tradition, right? So a lot of folks have been mad about, wow, $4 billion bid uh, for Chelsea. It makes no sense, but it makes a lot of sense. We consider that outside of Clairefontaine in France, La Cobham um, is the greatest academy in all of Europe, providing for incredible, incredible talent all throughout the EPL and other European clubs as well. So you're not just buying one of the strongest clubs in Europe. You're also buying the entire academy um, that also makes the clubs a lot, a lot of money. So looking to trying to get an owner that can continue building the legacy as opposed to just trying to make money, uh, which if you're the owner of Chelsea, you'll be able to do pretty easily. Well, that's like one of the things that's when, when Frank Lampard came on for Chelsea and they, they had a couple of, of like financial sanctions and the old, and they weren't allowed to, um, they had to go what, like one or two transfer windows with, yeah. with, we uh, <clears throat> yeah. And one of the reasons that they were able to survive, one of the reasons that they were so successful is because they leveraged that, like the, the, um, the Academy system. And that's how you got like guys, like kids like Mason Mount came up during that period, got first Can team play and it came through. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, that's awesome. Um, Mark, we were how talking. Does this, how does this? How does the sale actually work if the owner is currently on sanctions list and can't receive and has all of his bank accounts frozen? See that that's the part that's kind of confusing for me. Um, I think that um, you know the biggest thing with Roman that he's been saying ever since the beginning is that all proceeds of the sale would be going towards foundations of the Ukraine. Um, now, how exactly would that function? 
remains to be seen, but that's what he's had publicly said. Right. Um, I think, you know, for Chelsea fans all over, at least for all of us, it's kind of like, Hey, can we get this sorted out? Because we have several players that are out of contract this summer um, that are currently being poached by the likes of Manchester United, um, Barcelona's already um, on, on the verge of buying Andrews Christensen. Uh, they're also in conversations with Rudiger, uh, who's really grown to one of the best center backs in the world. Um, so we're like, please, can we sort this out? Because we're looking kind of tough right now. Uh, we're only going to be relying on academy players heading into next season. So that's also something as well that's, that's looming in the background is the inability to continue growing the team. All I, all I heard was sad soccer club, and I literally sat, wait, who's talking about Newcastle now? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, who's talking about my Newcastle right now? And I was going to be like, wait, wait, wait. But I, I hope, you know, my hope is that the Dodgers ownership gets gets a good bit because I love to see Fernando Mania just take over Chelsea. That would be probably one of the greatest crossover things to be able to see. I, w- I would love to be able to see what that looks like. But yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, like, you know, I mean, at least, you know, at least you guys, I mean, Owners that want to buy your team that it's not dirty oil money like my 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 home. Well, my team, well, right, you know? Mark and I were talking about this when we were watching the Costa Rica U.S. Men's National Team game. Where if enough, like if the Dodgers buy Chelsea, then we're on our way to having. What do we need? We need a couple more clubs to be. We need what fourteen clubs to be owned by American yeah, I mean, ownership. You, yeah, <laughs> the joke is that uh, I mean you need a sixty percent majority in England. And then once you get all of those American club owners, we can officially change it from football to soccer. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> oh gosh. That would be the greatest thing to happen. Speaking, oh, speaking of uh, American exceptionalism, uh, let's stop and talk about the world cup. Uh, the world cup draw was uh, this last Friday and um, without going into too many details of every single group, um, the U S was in pot two, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, that means that our group, um, we were drawn into group B with England, Iran, US, and then whoever wins the Euro playoff. And right now, obviously, Russia was in was part of that. And now, um, uh, basically, now that means it's going to be one of Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine um, in that and that playoff will be in June. And um, uh, I think one of the one of the matches, the, the reason that we don't know right now is because obviously Ukraine, Scotland was postponed and that will be happening in, in June, maybe a few days or a week or so before um, the actual final playoff. So the winner of Scotland, Ukraine will play Wales and the winner of that will be added to our um, our group. Um, I think it's going to be. A little bit tougher than we expect. I think Iran is is, is a much better team than uh, I think a lot of people give them credit for. Um, England will probably take the group, um, and I think it's pretty stacked. I think it's going to be a really really great fight for second in that group. Um, but speaking of matches, all of the um, the entire schedule was announced with all of the teams, and the U.S. will be playing the Euro uh, playoff winner on Monday, November twenty first. Friday, November 25th, Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving. Hopefully most people have the day off. U.S. versus England. Um, I think we're going to have a tea party at Blackheart. Um, 
And then Tuesday, November 29th, U.S. Uh, versus Iran. Uh, luckily, we all got the, the, the U.S. got the draw where all of our matches will be 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, or 10 o'clock local time in Qatar. So um, mm. late matches for the boys, but um, I think it'll be... Uh, it'll be fun for us. We'll be able to have some afternoon matches. Um, Jeffrey, uh, you have some good news about World Cup qualifiers, yeah? Yeah, I got some good news. Look, I, you know, the, the Qatar World Cup has obviously been surrounded by controversy, to which I say, what is a World Cup without controversy? Um, but this might be peak World Cupping. Um, but the entire qualification process uh, out of Africa was extremely stressful. Um, and when Cameroon was going up against Algeria, um, heading into like the final minutes, Cameroon just barely at the last minute scores a goal that clinches um their world cup birth which was both exciting and also i was just actually preparing a solidarity tweet with my nigerian fans basically saying that no we didn't fail to qualify for the world cup we're actually we're protesting the world cup being in qatar um but obviously when you qualify for the world cup you, you qualify for the world cup so you gotta put on the jersey you gotta celebrate so um i think it's really exciting times for Cameroon right now especially for the folks that don't know samuel eto uh the greatest african player of all time obviously one of the greatest strikers in barcelona history recently took over Cameroon Football Federation a few months ago. So this is a major victory for him as well, um, heading, you know, just three, four months into the job. So to get his team there and uh, really rebuild that momentum after missing the last World Cup is major. So we're, we're going to be in Qatar, baby. That's amazing. Um, also in almost good World Cup news, uh, Rodrigo, congratulations on Peru making the playoff and uh just and then sending me all of the videos of sad chileans um just weeping on their to. couches i can send you the sad colombians too because there's a ton of those my favorite was like it was a it was like a colombian it was it colombian and a, and a chilean fan both just like sobbing into each other or maybe it was yeah. a, a someone from peru and Colum I, I can't remember there was just so much chilean sadness in that and that video was delightful but let's uh tell me about it so peru is in the playoff against do we know um, yet it's no they won't know until i believe almost that that in june i think all the all the games that are being played i, I think uh, i don't know if the the whales and whoever it said, will there also be a Qatar? But the the Peru versus either uh, Australia or UAE will be uh, June thirteenth in Qatar, which I'm hoping that they play in like a dome because I don't know what what the temperature is going to be on the field. Oh, <laughs> every single every single stadium there has air conditioning, like oh, every single one. Have. Because that's going to be like one of the things that people were saying. That was one of the things. But but Peru defeated Paraguay two nothing. Um, goals by the amazing and now prodigal son, who's been adopted to every uh, household and is and has been saint sainted. Uh, Gianluca Lapadula, uh, which is funny because we talked about it in this podcast months ago. How Gianluca Lapadula actually played for the Italian national team in a friendly, scored three goals. Never heard back from them again. Wow. And so now we have this Italian Peruvian who gets a chance to go to the World Cup. Why Italy fans 
are trying to figure out <laughs> what's how, the, how, how, how they're going to watch. What's the nickname? Like, you got to think about like, what is the nickname for an Italian Peruvian? Uh, There's got to be something. There's got to be something. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll figure there, it out. There was, we'll there you know was somebody, somebody put a picture of an alpaca and like uh Peru Jersey. And then, you know how Gianluca Lapadula broke his nose. So he had that face thing. So someone put something like that in front of alpaca. And so it's called Apacadula. And so that's uh that that's what they were calling it for a long time, and I was just stuck. But no, I mean I think, I think it's uh it, you know being in the stadium at home, and um, my mom literally called me on WhatsApp, and like after the game was over, like just stuck her phone into the TV, and you could hear the whole stadium singing, and there's videos of our players, specifically Gianluca, singing one of the most prestigious song in Peru, Contigo Peru. Uh, being played throughout the stadium and just to knowing the words. I mean, like it's, that's what you played for, right? You played in order to be able to be, to have the chance to play in a world cup. And I think yeah. Peru in two years in two qualifying rounds has, has done that. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll be able to be in the world cup, but regardless, you know, watching Colombia and watching Chile fall flat on their faces is always, always a good, a good well, second prize. Well, we, nobody's perfect. And uh, you know, that's, we can i can i can get over it um in terms of in terms of the groups i mean we're not gonna i'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about the world cup as we are getting up to the lead up of it um i'm really there's a couple of matchups that i'm really looking forward to first of all like Group A, Senegal, Netherlands is going to be just absolutely fire. It's going to be Sadio Mane versus Virgil van Dijk, and it's going to be amazing. Um, <clears throat> obviously, our group... You're not going to talk about Gigi Wijnaldum. He, he's just not a part of the Liverpool Suns anymore. Exactly, exactly. And he'll just, I mean, he'll just tear up the midfield or he'll... Uh, you know, figure out a way to make a, a free transfer or uh, take some wage cuts to come back to Merseyside. But uh, Group B, U.S. versus England, obviously. Group C, I mean, that one's going to be, I mean, you've got Poland with uh, Lewandowski and, and Mexico and Argentina. It's going to be fun. Um, Group D, Denmark with Christian Eriksen with his, like, amazing bionic heart. Um, he's back. He's Dude, back, baby. No. There's, uh, there's a theory that we've been throwing around in this household is that Christian Eriksen is Wolverine. I'm into it. I mean, look at, look at how he, look at how they, they Brentford beat down Chelsea this weekend four one. Listen, I had to get it in. I had to get it in. Uh, But Denmark, France is going to be great. Group E, I think is like, could be like a mini group of death with Spain, Germany, Japan, um, Somebody on Twitter was saying that Group E is the group where you don't ask any of these countries what they were doing between 1930 and 1945. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was totally gonna say this is the oppressing. This is the uh, oppressors, oppressors group. Yeah, yeah. Um, recovering fascists. Oh my god, it's a capitalist, <laughs> oh capitalist god. cup. Um, capitalist <laughs> cup. Uh, it depends on who who makes that. Who's in the, that uh, that second playoff spot that that hasn't you been announced could yet? Have all three of those teams plus the Boxel brothers. Coming with New Zealand, which we'll right. talk about in a second. Uh, Group F, you got Belgium, which is always just an, an amazing team. That against Canada, who I think it probably has like the most club vibe of any national team. Um, super good vibes there. Group G, Brazil, who is like just they're go- like Cameroon and Brazil, like oof, man. I, I feel like those last three groups are just. You know, between group with the group of Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia, like the battles for number two between the Belgium group, the Brazil group, and group H with Portugal, 
it, that's that's where it really gets interesting because any one of those teams can really stake a claim to being the second team in that group. That's yeah. Sick. Was it was it you, Jeff, who tweeted something? It was like Group H with Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and Korea. It was like it's just vibes, pure vibes, pure vibes. I mean, <laughs> you, you you have Ghana versus Uruguay, and let's never forget that Ghana would have won against Uruguay. I think it was World Cup South Africa uh, if it wasn't for the Luis Suarez handball, uh, which oh, ended yeah. up being a penalty that. Uh, I think Guillaume just skied <laughs> straight yeah, into right. his hands, yeah, unfortunately. Right. But it was a surefire goal. Um, so I know Ghanaians, without a doubt, are still remembering that. I know Twitter's been having fun at that expense. Uh, you have Portugal, and Portugal is a great team, but they also have a lot of internal drama as well. I just uh, don't understand Portugal, how, how they get to play in North Macedonia to qualify for the World Cup, and they get to go to Pop 1. Like, that that made, like, no sense to me. I was like, I was like... It's wild. Um Last last thing that we'll say, Mark, you you alluded to it. Um, New Zealand versus Costa Rica, I think is is the the playoff. So we're gonna yeah. have Calvo versus the Boxel brothers. Yeah, if they oh. both get called up, I mean, um, is it, I, I believe it's Nico Boxel is his younger. I'm gonna brother, take your word for it. Who um he plays for uh, San Diego Loyal, and he got called up and was part of their most recent like qualifying through Holy like cow. to win Oceana. And he's a defender. Like I think he's a center back. And so you theoretically could have. Both Boxel brothers holding down this like who, center of the defense for New Zealand. Who were you know in Mighty Ducks? Who were the two? Was the Smash Brothers? The Bash Brothers. The Bash, Bash brothers. brothers. That's like that's got to be Michael Boxel and his brother. Just absolutely. When when Calvo does one of his dumbass runs into the into the attacking box and they just totally shut him down, it's gonna be amazing. That's if Calvo that's gets I, called up. But. I can't. He's going to. He I totally mean, will. He totally will. He didn't he play will. against There's... the U.S. because uh, if they got a yellow card accumulation in the last round of qualifying, that applied toward the playoff. Right. So he would have. Uh, it all resets during the World Cup, but. Uh, but again, the fact that you can only get two, like you get suspended after two yellow cards in a fourteen match tournament, it's absolutely is ridiculous. Stupid. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about it. We were, we were saying like, just, just get your, just get your two yellows in like the first two matches and then you're back for the rest of the qualifying. But, um, well, that's all we spent a lot of time. It was a very meaty headlines, um, episode with a, a, a pretty thick international window. So, um, thank you for sticking with us on that. We're going to take a quick break, come back and we'll, uh, talk Minnesota United. Welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. Uh, we're going to talk some Minnesota United. Uh, just a couple of newsy bits off the top. Our good friend and uh, club legend Miguel Ibarra officially signs with the USL championship side Charlotte Independence. Uh, he's been bouncing around the last couple of years. It's always good to see him land uh, somewhere. I think Charlotte's going to be a great place for him. I tweeted at him and told him that uh, Charlotte is now known as Gotham South. So that'll be... Uh, that was a good joke uh, by me. Um, <laughs> in terms of uh, I- injury I'm, I'm updates, glad, I'm glad you're the one that determines if it's a good joke and not Miguel. Listen, uh, I now I know how Wes feels when he's drunk with power in the host seat. So um, what I say goes. I can mute all of you at any given time. Um, injury updates with the team, other than um, some of the, the known season-ending injuries and Chase Gasper uh, entering the substance abuse program. Uh, Roman Metnair was again ruled out for this weekend. Uh, 
not so much for his hamstring injury, but an additional toe injury that he got in training. Um, I don't know what that is. I hope it's not the frostbite that Matt Turner got in Minnesota. Um, which uh, is Boring. not the reason that he uh, has been out of the revs, but um, we'll talk more about that. Hopefully Metnair is uh, cleared for the Austin match next week. Um, Minnesota United FC two. So our reserve league um, lost both of their opening matches. I think uh, they, the first match was three, one to North Texas away. I think some of us watched that or parts of it and they looked yeah. pretty decent. Anybody got any, any thoughts on that first one? I just think that um, watching Azio Jackson was was really interesting and fun to watch, and watching how they like figured out how to play with each other. I think uh, Hayes looked really comfortable out there, at least that that game. And um, but I just want to see what this team will look like once Patrick Weah comes in, because that'd be just like total attack power. But um, no, they, they 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 held it mostly that first game for a while, and they were playing up to him, and then just. So a lot of mental mistakes the last 15, 20 minutes that has led to to miscommunications and goals. And, I mean, it's, it's just expected, you know. I mean, a lot of these kids don't get playing time. A lot of players don't get a lot of playing time. So once they figure it out, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll be we'll be hearing other news. Yeah. Um, I actually have a Q&A coming out uh, with head coach uh, Cameron Knowles. Um, a little bit about the process of recruiting expectations for the MNUFC's two season, especially because it's, it's a novel thing. It's brand new. Everyone's kind of figuring it out on the fly. Um, but something that, you know, he mentioned to me was just like, you know, recruiting, it's almost been, I don't want to say last minute, but it's, it's taken a lot of time uh, to, to get the players that they want to have. Obviously they had some of the first team players are coming down and playing. Um, so a lot of the guys still aren't fully, uh, you know, fully know each other yet. Um, they're not obviously as confident with one another since, you know, they, they're just meeting for the first time and uh, over the last month or so, the last few weeks. So building that sort of camaraderie, building that sort of, you know, uh, fluidity on the pitch might take a little bit of time. And I know that they're still looking to bring in a few more players in the coming weeks and months as well. So this is just the start of what should be a really, really cool project and also something that, they're hoping to work in conjunction with the, with the actual first team. Hopefully, we might be able to see some of these players in the first team as well. Yeah, so, that that'll be the interesting fine. thing for me is is how does that core group of the reserve players how do they factor in when they're building that? Um, they're building in like the the familiarity with each other, and then a first team player who's kind of on the fringe comes in and out. And how does that work? It'll it'll be fun to see over the the rest of the season. But um, today, right before we tape this. Um, Minnesota United 2 played Kansas City 2 at home in a 2-0 loss um, at Allianz Field. Um, there's about 460-some people in attendance. Mark, you were there. You brought, you brought your daughter. How did, how did it feel in the stadium? Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was just weird to be in a stadium that big with only 400 people in it. it just, I mean, it felt a little bit, I mean, it felt very empty, actually. But uh, no, it was nice. It was... Um, it was a very cool vibe. Uh, just, I mean, just attending it, it was a cool vibe. Like there was a number of like uh, first team players there. Like Michael Boxel and his daughter were just like hanging out, like eating hot dogs in the row ahead of us. And um, so it was cool and it was nice. And uh, it was very convenient. Like literally we showed up 15 minutes before kickoff and we just pulled into the parking lot on, off of Snelling and just like parked and walked right in. And it's super easy and nice. It's kind of weird going in all for that easy. And the team looked okay. Like, uh, there were periods, especially in early in the um, second half, where 
they just had a ton of offensive pressure going on. Um, but then like the two goals they gave up were just some really, really bad defending, just like mental lapses type stuff, like where it's just, you know, maybe some more time together, maybe they're a little more focused. Well, whatever. That, 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 that second goal was the one where um, there was a defender on, on, I forget which attacker for Kansas city, but Fred Emmings, um, came our, out for our, our, yeah, our baby giant um, came out, but he wasn't quite aggressive enough. Yeah. He kind of hesitated a little bit and that was enough to like, kind of the ball, like just passed him. And then like, did like the slow motion, slow roll into the, like the goal where like you could see him like kind of crawling after it and that kind of thing. And yeah, it was, it was, it was not a great goal for anybody. Yeah. And, and uh, Rodrigo, you see, were you, were you able to watch the match? No, no, I did not get to watch the match, but I was kind of hoping to see what people's reaction would be to having, um, you know, Fred, um, it's kind of like his homecoming, right? Cause he, he's going, he goes to central. It's not too far away from there. I mean, for me, it's just, you know, cause like, I, I remember seeing their family at Blackhawks and, and seeing Fred and now seeing that kind of like coalition is, is, is good to, you know, and I mean, Fred hasn't played literally, I think this is his second full game. Like yeah. since, he, since he's been his, our homegrown really like it. And that game experience is so key. And I'm hoping that by, you know, by game, five or six then it would be much 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 cleaner cleaner um game and decision making and i hope he takes ownership on that field and yells at people like will trap yell at down Lottie. which um, we will talk um, about yeah and no and actually that. and actually uh fred looked he had a couple of very good saves like there was one where um uh the um kansas city attacker was coming in at kind of a tight angle and put it up it, if he hadn't got to like it would just gone like right in the upper 90 like kind of like in a straight up angle and he got like came across goal and got a hand on it and like shoved that out. Like he, he was, he looked pretty good. There was a couple instances where he had some really nice saves. So is, you see the potential there. This is, this is literally the reason that I'm so glad we have this, this team now is that you're, you're actually going to see results and, and you're going to see the development of these players that we can then be invested in when they hit the first team in right. two, three, four years or, or you know, or sooner than that, you know, um, or if they end up going somewhere else, like we'll follow them because we yeah, exactly. get to watch them. Right. Exactly. I mean, and it's, I mean, it's just Fred's building... got double nationality. So, I mean, he, who knows he, he would be called up for, for whatever, I forget yeah. what, what her parents, uh, association with what a European team it is, but yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's great. I mean, I think the, for me, it's just the fact that it, it sort of gives you that, uh, that mayor's cup vibe a little bit right it's like the accessibility right the closeness you know you're not going to have a lot of people go to it you know i mean i i actually thought about biking and i probably will when down later down the season with my kid just to be able to go there i think that's probably the best because i'm really invested as a as a coach is just, just the development seeing players players and there's some really good players on that team yeah that they didn't get you know we, we know mcmaster has always been uh, you know, he was, he was, he was top 10 pick for the, you know, a couple of years ago until he got injured. And then we've seen some, some of the flashes that he can do. I mean, we got Eway, all those different things. And just, you know, I mean, you throw in way in it eventually, I mean, we should be able to put some offense up once everything gets going. And that's, that's the exciting part for me. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to it. I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to going to some of any of those home matches that are opposite of 
the the teams like the first teams away match. But speaking of the first team, uh, we had a two one loss to Seattle in our fifth match of the season. Uh, our first la- uh, first loss of the season, so we are no longer undefeated. Um, currently sitting in eighth place with a uh, a five way tie between fourth and eighth place in the West. Everyone with eight points and same record, uh, just on goal differential. Um, so next week against Austin is going to be pretty big, but. Um, a couple of lineup changes, partially from injuries, partially from um, international returns, not not arriving on time. But we had a Buzan Lottie at left wing. Um, DJ Taylor uh, returned at right back for the injured Roman Metinere. Debasi uh, came back in again at left back. Um, we had Dotson and Trap in the midfield since uh, Kervin Ariaga uh, was not back from Honduras in time. And um, yeah, let's. I mean, nothing else was really surprising. I mean, we had Robin Lud at, at right wing and uh, Luis Amaria up top, Reynoso in the middle, um, Boxel Coleman in the back, and, and Dane St. Clair, uh, who was on his hot streak, uh, still in goal. Um, any any thoughts or, or or anything about the the lineup before we get into uh, some of the specifics? I am still completely baffled by why Abu Dunladi was on the left wing. Like... When they came out, I was like furiously swearing. And after you saw him and how horrendous his performance was, like in the first 45 minutes, like I just, I have no idea what Adrian Heath was thinking. Well, like, I, I don't know if I just don't get it. Well, I'm looking, I'm looking at the bench and you had Franco Fragapane, who normally holds down the left wing. He's still returning from a, a thigh injury. So maybe they were trying to manage his minutes. He was an unused sub, spoiler alert. Um, you still had Nico Hansen, who maybe they were factoring in him playing with MNUFC two, uh, Bongi, um, the the superstar, uh, had just come back uh, recently from international um, matches. So again, probably match fitness there with travel, and and there wasn't a ton left. I mean, we had uh, Adrian Nunu there as well, but um, it was yeah. a perfect it, it was a perfect opportunity to finally see what our two strikers could do. But instead of going to Unu and Amaria up top and doing like a four, four, two, instead we get a third string left winger played out of position. I, I, I just don't well, get it. Jeff, you're, <laughs> Jeff, you're not in your head. What, what, what are your thoughts on this? I, I feel like this is one of those moments where it's very telling to see where Unu's position is with the team as of right now. Right. So this is something that I documented in my recent piece going through the, you know, the forwards. Um, and some folks had noticed like, Hey man, Jeff put Huno at like fourth in the list as far as strikers. Um, and part of that is because Abu Dunladi actually come into the season before Luis Amarillo was announced was slated, uh, to be the starting striker, um, just based off performance during the off season. He played really, really well. Um, and you know, Coach Heath was actually really looking forward to having him available. So seeing him playing a left wing on one hand, it's like, oh, man, what is going on with Huna as far as um, is he just not showing up as well? Is he not going to good look, look good in training? Does he just not trust him in certain moments? We haven't seen him since the Philadelphia game. But then on the other side as well, despite the fact of how Delati had played, I think it says a lot about him as far as Heath's trust in him long term. 
Um, and I think it also says a little bit enough about him with some of the injury concerns he's had in the past that he looks at least kind of healthy. Um, but obviously his showing on the pitch uh, was less to be decided without a doubt. I think it's, it's an interesting that you look at our formation whenever we have, um, whenever we have the boss, you play in us left back, we have learned at least from the first couple of games is that he's more comfortable when he has support. Um, and the best support that he can get it, unfortunately it's Bongi and Ariaga on that left. Ariaga is that physical player that's willing to press. Bongi's got that speed and the physicality and just that motor to just go, go, go and press. And that literally makes Debasi's job a lot easier to be able to just focus on defending and making sure that he gets those, those wonderful balls out, out to people and control the ball. And, and I think in that situation, you know, it becomes um, for Dunlady, it just becomes a situation that we've seen him on, as, a, as a midfielder at Somro and there just isn't that level of comfort for him, but also he, there isn't that level of communication of what, what he's supposed to be doing in a sense. It just feels that he should be helping out to secure that left side because we know that's where everyone's going to be going at. Everyone loves to attack on our left side. And knowing that, um, I mean, that's on Dotson as well too. There wasn't a lot of communication of what was going on. And I still remember a situation and, where like I've never seen Will Trap be that animated towards anyone, but it was pinpointed at to who it was, and with with reason. And the fact that this 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 player wasn't able to fulfill their job, which was you know provide support and, and provide an outlet on a counterattack, Danladi can get out and provide you and stretch that field. And I think that's what we were doing the first 15, 20 minutes, right? We were waiting for that counterattack and getting those opportunities, right? Uh, Danladi had that you know that that uh, he chest trap to the and then the shot that kind of bounced and hit the goalpost and it was just one of those like you said that should have gone in but it, but it's just sometimes you know you remember when you're like a little kid and then you get those you know, those those chemist kits and then you start following the instructions right and you're like oh this is cool oh, this is what we call and then at one point you're like screw it and you just throw everything you want in it and it just have like a big explosion and it just didn't work that's what this feels in a sense. I think with more instruction, perhaps that could work out for Dunlady as, as playing as that left side. But I just think that until you have your healthy left, left, left sided people, um, that's what we're going to have to deal with specifically with our, with our defense. You, you can't afford not to take care of that left side. And when Ariaga is, is healthy, I think that's where you'll see him mostly at. Um, playing in that situation, but that's the other thing too. I think Ariaga could make it back because of uh, international play and maybe yeah. visa issues as always. But yeah, yeah, and I mean, I mean, this is the thing both to Mark and, and Rodrigo. Well, everyone's points really is. I mean, yeah, this is a prime opportunity to go to a four four two, but we know that's not going to happen. It's a four two three one always and forever. Um, you know, they they can talk about experimenting. Heath can talk about experimenting, but we know what what's going to happen. It's going to be four two three one. And Rodrigo, to your point, it's, yeah, it's the instruction. Like, if you're going to put someone in a position where they don't normally play, there needs to be very explicit directions in terms of what are the triggering patterns for pressing and defending and all of those things. And Abu wants to play up top, or he wants to play as a, as a second striker, and he wants to be your counterattacking target. He's not the left winger who tracks back to defend. And we saw that in a couple of instances where... Um, 
where Will Trapp and, and DeBossi were both screaming their heads off at him to say, you need to get back and defend. Um, because it, when he doesn't, the back line in the midfield is out of shape and you're more susceptible to goals um, or more attacking options. Speaking of goals, we were holding our own for quite a while, um, but then Seattle had a, uh, a really good attack down their left-hand side and cut a ball back to Joel Paulo um, from outside the box. He is known to just rip shots with finesse and accuracy and power against us against us because we had one (laughs) we had them last year um you know you can't give him space and part of that space was given because trap and dotson were not tracking back and being stout midfielders in front of our back line and there was just space for days and seattle exploited that and that's you know that's why that space existed and he had this amazing shot and it's probably going to be goal of the week. Um, and it's just, you know, Seattle's our, our, our boogeyman a little bit on this. Yeah. And, and, you know, we consistently open up that, you know, zone 14 where you'll get a midfielder, their number 10 or whoever who can just rip shots from outside the box with a lot of accuracy because we're not pressing them. Um, yeah. I mean, anything, I mean, I mean, that's, it's kind of a, that's a standard like cookie cutter Minnesota United goal giveaway, you know, like, right. you know, there, there's, there's not much else to be said about it. Dane St. Clair for as big and, you know, long as he is, he had no chance on that one. Um, no, that was just, he, he was going to, the, the thing is I want to say is that I think Spetzer uh, loves playing Minnesota as much as we love playing San Jose. I think that's literally like the biggest, best analogy I can tell is like, well, aren't we like one nine and one against Seattle? Like since we've joined MLS. Yeah. I think it's 11 matchups. We've won, we've won one, drawn one and lost the rest, including this match. And, you know, they just have our number and some teams will have that. And part of it is, you know, um, John Marthaler, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name, right. Um, had a really great piece that, that he put out today. Um, basically just saying, you know, when, People attack Reynoso, that that takes out the game. And, and Seattle knows if they control the midfield right. in, in our 4-2-3-1, and especially, and we'll talk about this in a second, with Trapp and Dotson both as more like natural eights instead of a six, they're playing as dual attacking-minded eights. You've got a lot of space in the midfield to control, and yeah. they just bossed it. And I think Schmetzer knows that, and his entire midfield knows that. I mean, so, how much fun it is to have a Rui Diaz come off the bench for you God. Freaking, and have, have Rusnak, you know, have someone you can take off. Right. I mean, I think those are the things yeah. that, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, it's really interesting. I think, you know, Seattle did what Seattle was supposed to do. They plugged exactly up right. that midfield. They made sure that Ray also did not have enough room and, that's what it was. I mean, and then and then when when we got frustrated and they knew that we were going to go on a counter as soon as they dispossessed the ball, it was on their way on their way back over to us. And that just always, when when our midfield is in transition from going to attack to uh, to defense, it's just that's where we're the most vulnerable, specifically with those two. And I think that's that's, that's exactly textbook what they did is that they were just waited and attacked us when they, when they needed to do that. And I mean, props to them. You know, uh, we can talk about. Um, you know, the amount of yellows that there were at this game, but we also can talk about how like the substitutions that we've had and 
how that switched to switch the the tone of the game later on in the second half. Well, 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 let's well let's talk about that. I mean, Jeff, do you, any any thoughts on the on the on any of the goals or or any of the Seattle's uh, game plan or anything like that? I feel like I have much less thoughts. I'm always kind of like steering on the the side of caution as far as being too hypercritical. Um, especially this early in the season. I know like obviously everyone's going to be up in the airs cuz it is Seattle and there is so much history there. And if there's anything a Minnesota fan wants to see is us get through that challenge and at least drive and I get that W because it makes us feel better at night. Um, but when you consider just the fact that we had so many players not able to come back, make a start or even show up due to international play, playing a team like Seattle uh, as your first game back into the league, it, it, it's, 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 it's that wake up call you needed, right? Because when yeah. you look at every other game that we have played up until this point, the goal that we gave up, uh, from Jao Paulo, that wasn't happening. I think our defense had always been, up until this point, really solid um, at snuffing things out through the middle. So a lot of the goals that we were scoring um, were coming out wide and then finding a way to get center. And was once once folks were in the box and had a decent enough angle um, is when they were getting shots in. But things outside of the box weren't happening as much up until that goal, right? And so um, I think I'm like, okay, there, there's some things here to be fixed on the training ground without a doubt. But at the same time, I'm like, we weren't exactly at 100% either. Um, and offensively, we weren't really in a position to be as dangerous as we've shown that we can be um, over the previous weeks. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's less about the personnel that we had on the field. And I think what it reinforces is some of the, the kind of the newcomers on the team, like a Kervin Ariaga, it's very clear how instrumental he is going to be in the team moving forward. That it's clear in a four-two-three-one, he's got to be your six or a rotating six-eight with with whoever. Um, uh, Mark, or even like lack of a hongi, um, yeah, Carapane, not having one of those two out of the left wing has also showed us that yeah, it impacts us a lot. Well, yeah, like, and defensively we saw that, but even offensively as well. well and that, and that's what Rodrigo mentioned, especially with Debassi at, at, at left back. You need somebody a little bit more dynamic in front of him to take the reins because he's going to sit back, be a little bit more defensive minded. Um, Mark, anything with the, the the second goal that we had was right after halftime. Um, yeah, it, it, was just un- <laughs> it was just unfortunate. Like it was, I mean, uh, was it Jordan Morris was breaking down uh, their left side? Kalman uh, was coming over to cover. And the shot just hit him in the foot and it's like completely put Dane in the, like he was going the opposite direction and just changed the trajectory of the ball. And it went right in the net as an own goal fluke goal. That was unfortunate because it looked like from the shot, had it not hit his foot, like Dane was in a perfect position to save it easily. Yeah, so I, I it forget, wasn't much of a shot actually. Yeah. I forget who, who from Seattle was coming, coming over to the far post or to the to the opposite post at least to, mm-hmm. to collect that ball but Dane had that post covered and it was it was just a nasty deflection it sucks it happens um but it killed the momentum yeah a yeah. little it's bit. also why you you know hit the ball with pace uh in front of the net right. because stuff like that happens I mean it, yeah. and it just wasn't this, was, this wasn't a game that was like a good game for Jordan Morris either I mean Jordan Morris wasn't getting the service that he usually gets those through balls to let his speed speak speak for for uh for his runs but there were a couple where he was beating you know a boxy uh that, that he was able to to get into it and i just think you know like when you get an own goal it's like superstition for a soccer player is like that's a that's a sign for something else that that it's just not going to go things go your way and then you know you had 
uh, Rosales came in. He kind of a little settled the team more. And then um, the offense started going through him, which gave Reynoso like breathe and space. And we know when he gets space, he's able to to create more of that. We were getting triangles on our on, our, on, on the flanks that we're trying to create. And then we get that we get that uh, pass. I think it was a combination of um, was was um, who. Who's the left back that came in? Um, so, so it was it was then um, Kamar Lawrence who came in. There, so one of the you. subs. Um, I'm glad you brought up the first sub with uh, Rosales came in. He replaced Don Lottie, and it's almost like at times they were they were utilizing a three man midfield with Reynoso, Amaria, and Lud doing their dynamic interchangeable whatever up top, um, and that controlled the match a lot more and Rosales looked really really good and I think he's he's got a lot of confidence especially after coming back from international break playing with Honduras um but the I other side recognize him yeah well he shaved his head and he looks exactly I was like people people around the, our area was like who's the number eight the the, the and we're the, like what do the kids say uh, like the the drip is something or something I don't know I don't know but um <laughs> Jeffrey's younger than all of us you could tell us now what the new lingo is I don't know. Yeah, what I don't know. It's you he was know. gripping on the pace. That's there what I was saying. There you go. There you go. Um but uh also not long, I forget what the what minute he was subbed out, but um Brent Coleman came out right around like the, the sixty sixty third minute or so. Right, that's when um, Bongi came in. Yeah, we had a double sub, so DJ Taylor um was pulled out for Bongi and Kamar Lawrence came in uh, for Brent Coleman, which uh, slid DeBossi over to the other center back role. And right. I believe um, Dotson uh, came back into the right back role. So it was it was a uh, it was a trap um, trap Rosales midfield, which I think is more in line with a Ariaga trap midfield that has been pretty successful. I think Ariaga or Rosales, excuse me, is a good option and that's one of the notes that i had is i kind of want to see what like a rosales ariaga midfield would look like i think it would like two honduran nationals Gosh. they know each other i think it that could, would be like a bash brother type of thing i think field. it could be just total midfield chaos in a really really good way right um but like you were saying, see rosales just pointing and ariaga just like a train just going through people yeah yeah <laughs> he's he's an enabler um i don't know i mean it's like you know, when that when that happened, Rosales started getting into the attack more. Trap could sit back a little bit more. Um, Kamar Lawrence was basically taking over that kind of role that Chase Gasper had, where he was bombing forward and overlapping with whoever's on the left wing, and this would be Bongi, sending in a couple of crosses from the left, which is not something that we usually see, even with Chase on the field. Um, Good but, crosses, you mean? Yeah. Good crosses. Yeah. Yes. Um, but the, we, we got a goal in the 82nd minute, um, speaking of Rosales, he dribbled into the box, uh, kept driving forward and just got absolutely smashed by two Seattle defenders, took him down. Um, Reynoso took the PK, got the PK, and then it was just absolute chaos from the Minnesota attack. It was all out pressure, um, really really strong through balls and fast hard passes and just doing the thing that would make us really really hard to play against like in the in the 2020 playoff run um and even points of last year where it's just 
chaos and quick passes and changing the angle of attack and Rodrigo, your thing where it's like, we're starting centrally, we're being vertical and then we spray it wide and we bring it back in. All of that was happening right. after Rosales and Bongi came on. And we had Kamar Lawrence, who was a little bit more dynamic on the right. left wing. I think it has to do with just not only, like, if you take this, the whole 90 minutes, the first 15, 15 20 minutes of the, of the beginning of the game, and the last 15, 20 minutes of the last, that's exactly half hour of, like, the soccer that we wanted to watch is what we got. And to be honest, we literally, like, we had the opportunities to be able to score. And I think um, that's what you want to, like, like uh, Jeff mentioned, like, do you do you want to lose to a Seattle two nothing, and then later on in the season when you get when you're like you're really into your season and you found your rhythm and your shape, meet them again and then take it to them specifically with the tools that you have. This is specifically what you want to do. Is like it is a wake up call in a sense, right? Um, but I mean, Bongi um, is is very direct. And I like that. And it reminds you a little bit of what Fragapani can do as well, too. But when when we we've talked about it, when we get caught up in the system of center back, left back, back to the center back, back to the other one. It was just we, we, we're, we're pinging the ball around, trying to find someone to move in the middle and our middles in our, and people our people are not moving. So whenever you want to be more direct you want to play quickly. Whenever we are more direct and we play quickly, we create more, more and more problems. And that's what we want to be able to try to do. And whether that means Reynoso gets to distribute some of the ball, or maybe we can touch on what Corey's been saying and how Reynoso only wants to pass to certain people who have, who have uh, perhaps learned, learned the handshake in his own club. Um, uh, that would be, that would be an interesting thing because I think, you know, like I, I saw Reynoso put a ball on Bongi and Bongi drove into the box and I was like, people were super excited. And all I wanted to say to people in my side was like, Bongi's been making runs since he's been here. This is yeah. nobody sees him making runs. Yeah. No one's trying to get him the ball. I see we, if we are, if we are willing to identify that and realize that and focus on people making those runs, I think that's, that's where we become more and more dangerous. We have to be a little bit more direct and I hopefully, you know, down the road, that that's the style of offense that we become. We don't want to, Specifically, when we're playing teams like Seattle, who plug that middle, you want to be able to move them because if you don't move them, then you're just then you're playing into their their hand. No, and it was funny. I think in the first half when uh, um, Ray had the ball and like literally like nobody like Dunlady is completely wide open on the left sideline, and like there's defenders over on Amaria and Lude on the right, and of course he like looks at Dunlady kind of pauses, thinks about it. And it's like, nope, I'm going right. And just hits it into traffic. And of course he lost the ball, but I thought that was kind of telling as far as Ray goes of like where his confidence is with who he's passing to. Uh, Jeff, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? You had something to say. I feel like those last 15 minutes, but even like the games coming into this one, we'll, we'll just try to scrap the Seattle game. Um, I think we kind of saw the potential for the lose attack, right? And something that I talked about when, when, when looking at the midfield and even doing the preview heading into the season is that we have the certain players now that open different dimensions to our attack. I think for so long, we had often tried to rely on scoring off set pieces or scoring off the counter. And I think we have players that are perfectly uh, suited for that sort of style for Arapane with Lude, right? and also even Luis Samaria. Um, you know, but I think that now though, if we can solidify that midfield, we can actually play more of a possession style offense. 
But I think that and that that's still kind of taking some time to do, right? So when you watch some of those games, what kind of be, what kind of makes me mad sometimes is just the the passes that come too late, right? Or sometimes too soon, or sometimes folks holding onto the ball a little bit too long, and sometimes that's and also sometimes that's Amaria at times can be a little bit too selfish when he, he can do a little bit more of a hold up play, play one two. Um, and on the bottom point, I'm like, just let him loose. Just let Bongi lose because every time he's on the pitch, beyond the fact that, you know, he has a lot of different skill sets with the speed. He has a through ball as well. Um, that's not too shabby as well with his ability to play from side to side. Um, I just love the passion that he plays with. And I think it's really infectious when he's on the pitch as well. So I'm um, pretty excited to see how they build up on this as well um, into the future matches, especially with Austin coming up. Yeah, there, there. You know, there was, there was just total chaos at the end of the match. Like some potentially really, really good scoring opportunities. We didn't finish. It was a lot of chaos in the box. I get it, but Amaria had one that was a sitter, and he sprayed it wide, and it was a big bummer. Oh, um, but you know, when, like again, that happens. But it's it's a it's a worrisome trend. Like the 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 big thing that I'll end with on on this is. Um, the thing about uh, Reynoso is like he he has his favorite players and he has his favorite outlets and his patterns of how he wants to um, how he wants to attack and what his idea of creating space is and if he doesn't trust you you're not getting the ball and it totally kills our attacking options and other teams know that um, <clears throat> one of the things that Matt Doyle said in his uh, weekly recap was, oh. you know, Reynoso, you know, he was number two in trans creation the last two years. Um, also one of the most fouled. But this year so far, and again, it's a small data set, but it, I mean, we're five matches in. It's not an insignificant amount of data, but it's he's 39th in chances created per 90 minutes. Um uh, behind defensive midfielders and fullbacks and is just 66th in expected assists. So his numbers are way down this year. And I don't know what it is, but it's, you know, he has the same tools at his disposal for the most part, you know, with, with Lud and Fragapane, at least for the beginning of the season. Um, Amaria plays a little bit differently than Unu does, but they, he also basically just kind of, ignored Unu for a lot of the season last year. So, you know, that is going to be, he, he needs to go on a heater. He needs to go on a run and find his form regardless. If everything's going to go through him, he's got to get his groove back. But, um, you know, I mean, it was not an unexpected result, but we certainly could have had a point. Um, and we played really, really well. The, the thing that I'll, that I'll, end this segment with is will trap had a great quote in the um post-match um news conference where he basically said at the end of the game we were pushing that's more of what we are as a team and what we need to bring out from the beginning jeff you alluded to a lot of that and but this quote is getting punched in the mouth and then having to come back only gets you so far and that's exactly right you can't play passively like we've been playing and then expect to win these kind of matches. You have to take mm-hmm. it to on um, that last 15. You got to sustain that for all 90 and, and get out on the front foot. But um, we're going to take a quick break. We'll, uh, we'll come back with a quick preview of, of the next match and your questions. All right. 
welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, Minnesota United had, has Austin away uh, match day six for the season. Uh, okay. It'll be our first uh, encounter with Ethan Finley since he left okay. um, Austin. They were on a tear with five goals in their first two matches, or ten goals in their first two matches, excuse me. Um, they had a 5-0 win against Cincinnati. Uh, again, you know, that's a great way I mean, to open the season. Apparently, I just I feel so bad for Cincinnati fans. You know, I do, but like, it's also like they're they're slightly better now. They'll turn. Just they're slightly. They, they're, like, they've they're improved since their five zero loss. They're not yeah. losing by six goals a match. Now. No, right, but then they lose um, but, to Charlotte, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. But uh, Austin then went to Miami and put five goals up on them. Then they reverted to the mean as expected. Uh, a one 0 loss to Portland. A 1-1 draw against Seattle, and then a 2-2 draw against San Jose. And, like, it's making me wonder, like, what what's going on there? I think they're going to be playing at home. They'll have the advantage. But I think if we have – it sounds like Metnair might be cleared to play at right back again. If you do have um, – if you do have uh, Kamar Lawrence, who comes in and is fully match fit to play at left back, I think you're we're, we have a really good uh, chance to take it to him and, and make it a really really good match and prop you know maybe it's a smash and grab come out of there with three points. It's kind of needed, unlike last season where we just played everybody in the West and every match was a six point game. Now it's I mean this is still a six point game, but there's. You know, we we need to win these matches, and uh, it's you know I think this is one where we can go and win. We this is Austin last season. I think was probably one of our most convincing wins. Austin away last year was like three one or something like that. Um, hopefully, we can go there and um, put do, a little bit of sadness. Players? What's that? Do you rest players for this? I game? wouldn't. Would you you wouldn't? No, I'd, I'd I'd start Ariaga in the midfield. I'd start the the same front. Front four. I mean, Adrian Unu is in the doghouse, and that's probably our next um, uh, transfer watch, which is the Unu exit watch, and oh, uh, see how long he's going to be around. Um, yeah. So we'll bye see. Bye seven goals. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, but let's let's get to your questions. Um, uh, United Loons at MN United FC Loons role play how a conversation plays out between Heath and a pro Unu assistant coach when putting the lineup together. Man. <laughs> Like, <laughs> look, I, I didn't, I didn't need like theater prompts for this. I mean, does, oh my gosh, like, what is it's that like, conversation like? Get into the character. Like, what is that conversation like? If you have an assistant who's like, we got to put in Adrian Unu, and Heath is just like, nah, bro. I mean, you start with you start with like French wine, right? I mean, if you uh, you 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 do the French wine, you 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 try to wine and dine them just to be able to get them, and then you go with the heart of like so. How about 15 minutes for a new against Austin? I mean, I feel like if you're the assistant coach, the best strategy is like the Trump White House strategy where you have to go to the kids. So get Harrison on board and then have Harrison play intermediary and trying to convince Heath oh, wow. to let him play. Just use Harrison Heath as your sounding board. Mm hmm. Oh, like kind of like when like everyone if like the, like if people wanted Trump to do something they had to go to Ivanka to get into his head that he should <laughs> do something and I feel like that might work with Heath like get Harrison on board and all of a sudden you're good to go okay what what's the over under that we see Unu get some minutes in Austin I feel like if he doesn't play in Austin then I think all all the fans right now are right to be like what is going to be happening with them if there is a match for him to get play and actually exactly. shout out to the critics. 
it is the Austin game after not having had a chance to see him honestly since Philadelphia. So uh, I think it's really it, it's got to take time to, to to see what's going on with Hudo. Because that's like we're, we're approaching like. 20% of the season is gone and Unu has had seven minutes, seven minutes in, against Philly, uh-huh. you know, where he had that one shot that could have been an amazing goal. That may, that was, that, that may have taken him out of the doghouse. If that wasn't who the keeper was, that was a goal. Like hundred percent. Um, <clears throat> David uh, at David A. Sterling is trapped. Suddenly our worst midfielder. I really feel like we could have won this match had it not been for him. I don't That's know that wrong it's take. That's I think that I take. think that's exactly right. Um, yeah. I have my takes on it, and I think that's that. It wasn't so much that it was trap; it's that Ariaga wasn't in yeah. to pair with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I does also, that does that say something about Dotson though? I, I, it, it does, in a sense. I think it does. Is uh, it's just I I just think with Dotson, we, we we haven't been able to have that consistency for him, and I know that's a broken record, but um, at the same time, I feel like. He he gets slotted to where we where it's needed. I think Ariaga can can do well, but I I think Will Trap is last season right, Mark. I mean, he was one of our best passers and and passing percentage and all that kind of stuff. He for for a moment during those first 15, 20 minutes of our offense, Will Trap was creating that offense, was making those passes, was connecting passes, which we usually don't see, right? And I think I think I want a leader type in that midfield who's willing to call people out. And I think that's, that's worth it for me. That's the reason he's captain. I think when, when he, when he called out the people that needed to be called out, things started to change a little bit more. So, so I don't think he's the worst midfielder. Yeah. Jeff, any, any, any thoughts on that? I think it's more so about just sorting out and blending personalities with playing styles, right? So earlier at the top of the podcast, I think all of y'all were saying that, you know, you're basically playing with two eights and with Katarina out, um, you're not playing with the person that has honestly been a, the, the standout player, in my personal opinion, um, on the Loon squad, but especially in the midfield. And then it showed. Um, so I think it's more, I, I want to say that he's our worst midfielder by any means. Um, I think more so he's being put in a position right now with Ariaga Outwards trying to see just how valuable um, our Honduran international is. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the things is, you know, Trap and Dotson, I think, are much more alike than we think and yeah. and and that's why they don't pair so well it's like you need somebody Ariaga's defensive but he also will just go after it too and and trap is happy to be a more finesse player um rosales again that's my wild card this season he started to, he's, he looked really fun last year when he came in i think this could be a this could be a breakout season where we have that midfield six eight double pivot uh depth for rotation um Nick at Nick the Dosh. Um, I'm going to assume I'm getting that right. Uh, the U.S. men's national team would have done better in Costa Rica if Calvo had played. I 100% agree that we would have won that match. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because you because instead Costa Rica played the kids and the kids had spirit and fight and speed. Right. Uh, they were playing and, for the and they're able to and they're able to spot uh, you know attackers coming right through the middle of the six yard box and don't leave them wide open. Hey, you know what? Um, take what you can get. Um, well, uh, last question here from uh, Rhubarb Fan at Fan Rhubarb. I like that. Um, Landon Donovan is the Loons uh, manager. Yes, because then he'll hold up a scarf that says Kansas City is my other team. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, absolutely not. Like, I mean, would I take him? Uh, sh- sure. Somebody with. I the, don't know. I don't know, but like, I don't even know who I would take at this point. I mean, we, I, we, I, I like him at the Loyals, to be honest with. He's done such a such a good job at the Loyals so far. I mean, I think if the Loyals win it all at one point in the next couple of years, and I think if anything, he has aspirations or qualifications to perhaps get into the U.S. men national team coaching staff at one point. I think that might be a, a move more more prone to him. But, yeah, I mean, I think he could coach an MLS team. But oh, absolutely. I don't think he can coach what, us, yeah. Whether or not he would come, I mean, I don't know, Jeff. I don't, I don't you... think he likes Mate. That's that's my main reason. He just doesn't like Mate. I mean, I, I feel my only comment on that is that Landon Dominant, Landon Dominant eventually at some point becoming a head coach of the Loons just makes the team overall more sexy. And I'm always pro sexy with pro teams. It's, you know, having folks actually paying attention to your team, regardless of what it is, is always a good thing. It's more buzz. It's more energy. Um, and hopefully it also adds a little more fire. So uh, I wouldn't be fully opposed to it without a means. Just make it more exciting. Why not? Well, with that, Jeffrey, thank you for joining us uh, from Mexico. Can't wait to have you back here in uh, in Minnesota for a bit. We'll make sure we get together. Maybe we'll do one of these. Uh, we'll do one of these live. I always forget the order of the sign off. It's what is it? What what is it? Is it you're beautiful? You're sexy. You're sexy, and, and everyone, everyone loves you. you. Thanks, everyone.